Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 72 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Professor Joe Barraket. Joe Barraket is Professor and Director of the Centre for Social Impact, or CSI, in Swinburne, and the National Research Director of the CSI Network. She's Australia's premier researcher of social enterprise, which has been her core area of research for over 20 years. Jo has published more than 50 articles and books and has led many research projects on social enterprise, including studies funded by the Australian Research Council and evaluations of government initiatives, such as the Social Enterprise Development and Investment Funds. Joe is passionate about progressive social change and the role of innovation in the social economy in achieving this. In addition to her work with CSI, Joe is the chairperson of Ceres Environment Park in Melbourne. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Joe's views on this current state of social enterprise sector in Australia. We'll get Joe's insights and perspective on social innovation opportunities. And we'll hear what Joe believes can be done by governments and social entrepreneurs to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome, Tom. It's a pleasure. So to keep things off, Joe, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in academia and the social enterprise sector? Sure thing. Um, I'm a sociologist by training. Uh, after I finished my undergraduate degree in English literature, I decided that I did want a career in academia. I was quite attracted to both research and teaching, but I really wanted to better align my values as a young activist with my research area of inquiry. Mm. So I switched my focus to sociology, um, which was a better fit in terms of my values and what I wanted to achieve. At the time, I was quite actively involved in the consumer cooperative movement in Sydney, and I was also involved in a number of environmental organisations. And I was really struck by the fact that in the cooperative that I was involved in, the organisation had quite a lot more power to advocate and to speak out about things and to define what it did because it wasn't funded by donations. It was funded through its trading activity. So that led me to what's thus far become a lifelong passionate interest in the relationship between economically productive activity and social change. Mm-hmm. And um, cooperatives are arguably the, the original version of social enterprise. So uh, that I did my PhD on the cooperative movement and that led into a career in studying social enterprise. In terms of opportunities uh, in that field, I mean, there's been a couple of notable ones. The first one was when Queensland University of Technology was funding from the Westpac Foundation 
uh, offered up a, uh, the first research position dedicated to social enterprise in Australia, mm. and I was fortunate to be um, appointed into that role. And then more recently, uh, establishment of CSI Swinburne and Swinburne University committing to quite a substantial investment in getting that research centre that I lead up and running. So they've been two important kind of uh, opportunities and milestones along the way. Yeah, and they certainly have created some excellent work out of both of those initiatives. So as Director of the Centre for Social Impact at Swinburne, as you mentioned, could you please tell us more about the aims of this organisation, the types of projects that you're involved in? Sure thing. Um, so CSI Swinburne, as you mentioned in your intro, forms part of the National CSI Network, and that's a partnership between the University of New South Wales, Swinburne, and the University of Western Australia. Yep. As a network, our ambition's simple, but challenging. We seek to catalyse change for a better world. Mm. Uh, we do that in the way that most university-engaged organisations do through uh, education, research and our wider uh, engagement with all sectors that we work with. And across the network, we focus on different areas of research concentration. Within CSI Swinburne, our particular areas are social entrepreneurship and innovation, yep. measuring and communicating social impact, which all nodes in the network are uh, involved in, and also social investment and philanthropy. We run across each of the CSI nodes uh, a Master of Social Impact and a Graduate Certificate of Social Impact, and we're all teaching undergraduate programs as well now, mm. uh, which is reflecting the broad enthusiasm uh, in the university system among students for the work that uh, we do. The easiest way I can describe our research focus is that we're centrally concerned with organisational dimensions of social change. Yep. So, now, as distinct from being focused on particular social problems, although a number of our researchers are, we're focused on the organisation's processes and mechanisms by which progressive social change occurs. So that means that a lot of our research is concentrated at the inter intersections between sectors and between organisations rather than be being focused on an individual sector or a specific approach to change. Mm. In terms of projects that CSI Swinburne's involved in, it makes me slightly exhausted to think about them all. Um, <laughs> and I, I won't try and articulate all of them, but some of the headline acts at the moment are the Map for Impact research that we've recently completed for the Victorian government, mm. uh, which is uh, a close mapping of social enterprise in Victoria. The Social Enterprise Impact Lab, which we've just in the process of establishing with funding from Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation and Family Life, yep. which is really an action learning project working with five social enterprises to try and find out what measures really matter in progressing their social objectives. Mm. And the Australian Digital Inclusion Index is the other one I'll mention, which is a project we do in partnership with colleagues at RMIT and Telstra. And that's a longitudinal um, annual analysis of the demography and geography of digital inclusion in Australia. Wow. There are some really, really, really interesting projects there. And those are just the headline acts. So it'd be, it'd be great to delve into those other ones too. But just before, Joe, you were mentioning Queensland University of Technology and that original funding received by Westpac Foundation and the work you were doing there. So as Australia's premier researcher of social enterprise, you first led the production of the first phases report back in June 2010 while you were at QUT. So yep. since conducting that original research, what is something new that you've recently learned that surprised you about the social enterprise sector? I have to confess, Tom, that after 24 years of being obsessively documenting the field, I'm not easily surprised by anything. That's why I'm um, asking. <laughs> but that said... I, I am still genuinely delighted by the creative genius of social enterprises that I come across that are new to me on a day, almost daily basis. Mm. 
But in terms of research evidence, one thing I am happy about is that with the MAP3 impact project that I mentioned, we've been able to do some more granular analysis of the economic productivity and efficiency of social enterprises. Mm. And the publication's still under development, but we've, I, I can say in broad terms, we've been able to show that social enterprises are at least as efficient um, and productive as their commercial counterparts. Mm. I think in terms of some of the prejudices that social entrepreneurs tell me they face in the market, that they're the poor cousins of mainstream business, this is a nice insight yeah. um, to, to show that actually, you know, they're punching at least at their weight, if not above it, uh, in economic terms. Mm. That's a really nice insight to hear. And it reminds me of a recent article that you wrote for The Conversation. And in that article, you wrote that a more inclusive economy built on social enterprises requires more investment in business skills, such as marketing and winning new contracts, and better measurement and communication of the social impacts being achieved. So on that note, Joe, how might social entrepreneurs best measure their social impact and communicate that impact effectively? So it's it's the uh, perennial question, I think, and uh, impact measurement remains a vexed issue, not just for social enterprises, but across the sort of social change spectrum. Yeah. I'm not sure from a sociological or social science perspective, I'm not sure that there's any best way because I think that the methods used need to match the needs of impact measurement in context. Mm. So that includes the purpose of doing the measurement. Yeah. It also includes the resources available to organisations or sectors to get it done. But uh, to give you an illustration, for example, if your primary purpose is to communicate your impacts with the people you seek to serve, you might come up with a different method and, and set of key metrics than if your primary purpose is seeking investment or grant funding. Mm. So I think the main thing that we're doing with the work that we do broadly and particularly in the Social Enterprise Impact Lab project that I mentioned before is really asking the question, what measures matter to affecting progressive change? Mm. Uh, and that's the question we're really, um, you know, in an action learning model with five social enterprises trying to determine with them. That's not a very concrete answer to your question, though, so I will just um, flog a resource from uh, our colleagues at CSI at UNSW. Yep. They produced a practitioner's guide to social impact measurement as part of their Compass series, uh, and that's on the CSI website for anyone who's looking for introductory information to evaluation and impact measurement. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll stick a link through to that in the article. Great. So, Joe, in a recent interview that we did with Jerry Higgins, Jerry spoke yep. of the importance of having a social enterprise strategy and the close relationship the Scottish sector has built with the UK government since launching their first strategy in 2002. So, you've spoken about some recent work you've done in Victoria and mapping the sector. But last year as well, we also saw the Victorian government launch Australia's first social enterprise strategy to improve that sector support. So the question is, looking at social enterprise from a policy perspective then, what do you believe are the key steps government need to take to help foster and support an innovative social sector? Yeah, so the Map for Impact project that I mentioned is actually part of the Victorian government's social enterprise strategy, so mm. it's terrific they've made that investment in the sort of baseline evidence to try and better understand the, the sector and its um, challenges and opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of Jerry's comments, I mean, I personally feel that there are both positives and negatives in strong policy frameworks to support social enterprise. Mm. On the positive side, there's all the enabling of social businesses and the outcomes that they produce, which is really 
potentially great. But the negative side is the manufacturing of civil society by government agendas. So when resources become available for specific types of social enterprise, for example, that can actually reduce innovation and it can also incentivise mission drift by organisations that are frankly really good at what they do, but they're not fitting the current funding norm or the business opportunity mould that's being created through um, market stimulation by governments. Mm. So I think it's I think there's pluses and minuses. I think you know while I've been at times frustrated by the piecemeal approach of most Australian jurisdictions to social enterprise, I think there actually are some benefits to that benign neglect because there has been space for civil society to come up with its own solution. Yeah. But that said, in terms of what are the key things governments can and should be doing, I mean, they're the key things that governments can and should be doing with regard to enabling any sector. They can be ensuring that regulation enables rather than constrains social innovation. Mm. There's a number of, you know, mooted developments at the federal level at the moment with regard to regulation of the not-for-profit sector that rings some alarm bells and needs attention from social entrepreneurs as well as the wider uh, not-for-profit organisations. Other things governments can do, which they are doing, is, you know, looking to social procurement and the role of uh, social enterprises and other social benefit providers as legitimate players in governmental supply chains, and that's a terrific way to stimulate markets for social enterprises. And that's the thing I hear most from social entrepreneurs whenever you ask them about opportunities. It's always about building those markets. It's yeah. not about it's not usually about more funding, although sometimes that comes up. Mm. It's more usually about stimulating the market. And then the other one is related to finance is enabling better supply and demand alignment in funding and finance. We haven't got that right, despite the current rhetoric and enthusiasm around impact investing. The reality is that there is a mismatch between, you know, the demand needs and the products that are available through supply, and that's going to need attention. And government has an important role there often in kind of stimulating the market for impact investing or similar uh, and they've got I think there's more work to be done there. Yeah absolutely that's a really really interesting insight there. So you've done a lot of work with social entrepreneurs so are there any really common and important traits that you believe are fundamental to have as a social entrepreneur? Yeah it's a question I pondered when you sent through the uh, questions for today's interview I definitely know a number of dynamic individuals in the Australian context who I see as field builders in the social enterprise space, and I guess we would call them social entrepreneurs, but the heroic individual social entrepreneur, for the most part, is a myth. Mm. Uh, Most effective social entrepreneurial efforts involve teams or networks of people, and they also involve an enormous number of organisational partners a lot of the time. I think one of the things I found depressing about the early evangelical proclamations of about social entrepreneurship was that the heroic social entrepreneur tended to be a man, Mm. while, in fact, we know that women have been the lifeblood of the social economy throughout its history in many, many countries. So I'm not really answering your question, but I think that we need to recognise the important traits of social entrepreneurship as distinct from social entrepreneurs as individuals. That said, the individuals who I think are really good at this stuff have deep experiential knowledge of the problems that they're trying to solve or they have a genuine appetite for co-developing solutions with the people affected by those problems. Mm. They have amazing creative capacity to imagine new solutions and do what is called bricolage in entrepreneurship theory, which is finding creative ways to use the means at hand to solve a problem. They have a flair for partnership and for spanning boundaries and for talking language that different sectors understand. 
have confidence in the gift of the gab in convincing others that there's a problem and a market for that for the proposed solution. So I think they're some of the main things that, uh, uh, you know, social entrepreneurs with flair show. Mm. I think the other thing, though, is making the distinction between social entrepreneurship and effective management. Not every entrepreneur is a great manager and there are clearly a set of management fundamentals that are also needed to um, ensure that social enterprises succeed. Yeah, there's some very interesting points to be made there. So in discussing those things, what is some of the most common reasons that you believe that social enterprises then fail? Well, I think if we're talking about business failure, I mean, the primary one is that many social enterprises are created to respond to an unmet need. So in economic terms, they're responding to market failure. And sometimes it's hugely challenging. You know, if if the market isn't there, there's a reason why the market isn't there. And sometimes a um, social entrepreneurial approach, you know, just faces all the same barriers and that might lead to uh, failure. Mm. One of the things we know, which is not specific to social enterprise, it's actually a characteristic of many small to medium enterprises, is that they're undercapitalized. Yep. An area that uh, in both phases and Map for Impact that's come out repeatedly that social enterprises say they lack skills and capability and resources in is marketing themselves and communicating their social impacts, as you mentioned, with regard to that conversation article. So there's some of the things. But I think the thing we've not been talking about much is those social enterprises that have some semblance of commercial success and financial sustainability but are actually failing to realise their social mission. Mm. Um, And I think that this kind of failure is more insidious because it's harder to spot and it can lead to social wash, you know, a a sort of social iteration of green wash rather than true efforts to address complex social problems. And I really think we need to be talking more about this kind of failure and its implications for an effective social economy because if we focus so much on effective business management, really what we're talking about, to use a um, metaphor that a colleague, Diana Leet, introduced me to a long time ago, is keeping a clean kitchen. And that's very different to making a great meal. Yeah. And, you know, we actually really want our social enterprises' kitchens to be hygienic, but we really want them to create a great meal. I mean, yeah. that's the, that's ultimately the purpose. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to look at it. So earlier, Joe, I mentioned that you are the chair of the Ceres Community Environment Park in Melbourne. So can you please tell us a little bit about what this organisation does and the key lessons Ceres has learnt about operating a sustainable community in- initiative? Sure. So, so it's pronounced Ceres and it's a not-for-profit association that was established about 35 years ago by a group of citizens in, in inner North Melbourne who wanted to rehabilitate uh, an area next to a creek that had become very um, polluted and run down. Mm. It's a four-hectare park located on what was a tip site and it provides green space, community gardens and demonstrations of sustainable ways of living on the site. Uh, It's the largest environmental education provider in Victoria and we turn over about $12 a year. Uh, We employ employ about 150 people and about 95% of our income is generated through our social enterprises. They include a market and grocery, a retail nursery, an online organic grocery and a cafe, among others, including our education programs. It's effectively a constant work in progress and our CEO and management team are obviously the heart of that work. So Mm. I get the privilege of speaking about it as the chair, but I really acknowledge uh, and nod to them as the the engine. I think the key key lessons are we're constantly learning about having clarity about the purpose of each of our social enterprises 
and it's and their functions in fulfilling our wider social and environmental missions mm. because each social enterprise has a different function so for example one of them might be very much focused on generating revenue to reinvest in managing the park that's quite different to a social enterprise that itself is a demonstration project that is providing um, you know strong demonstration of effective ways of living sustainably where we might just want that one to break even. Yeah. So we need to be constantly talking to ourselves and reminding ourselves what the functions are to make sure that the business engine business engine of the organization is running steadily, but that we're always aligned with mission. Mm. And I think the other thing that we've learned is the 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 huge value and support that resides within the series community and wider networks. And that's something we've been discussing at both board and management level. We've got a very high degree of brand recognition because three generations of Victorian kids have been to series on a school excursion. Um, And really what we've been talking about is how can we better leverage that brand recognition and reputation to support not just our own organisation but our wider vision for more sustainable and just ways of living. So that's that's what we're trying to shift a bit towards at the moment. Mm, well, it's a fantastic model and, a, and a, certainly a very inspiring initiative and I'm sure many countries from abroad are, are looking in at the work you're doing there and, and finding inspiration in that. So to flip the coin there, are there any countries that you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to social innovation? And if so, what are they doing that you think Australia or other countries around the world could adopt? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think similarly to social enterprises, there are some countries that are better at marketing their social innovation fields. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually doing anything mm. better or um, more effectively. Yeah. But that said, there are some very interesting developments in a number of world re- regions. In continental Europe, there's quite a lot of uh, interesting developments, for example, in community energy companies and the role of platform cooperatives in socialising the gig economy um, to make sure that it actually empowers rather than exploits workers. Mm. That's, you know, there's a a conversation happening here, but it hasn't uh, taken off in practical terms in the way it has in Europe, particularly in Germany. Um, In India, with such a rapidly growing economy, there are great examples of social social entrepreneurship that are often arising from what we call necessity entrepreneurship. And then related to that, because of current patterns of forced migration across the world, there's some interesting models of social enterprise starting to appear as refugees and new migrants trying to establish themselves economically and socially in new countries. Mm. In terms of public policy, you know, we always look jealously to Scotland uh, because it has got that comprehensive approach to building the ecosystem that Jerry mentioned in his interview with you. And then we also look to Canada, particularly for its leadership in social procurement, among other things, yeah. and not just social procurement by government, but actually social procurement by the corporate sector. Mm, most certainly. That's great to hear. So what inspiring projects or initiatives, Joe, have you come across recently which are creating positive social change? And I'm sure there's hundreds of them, but do you have a top few that you could list? Yeah, so I see new and inspiring projects pretty much every day of my life and I'm somewhat overwhelmed in a happy way with them. And I think what I really wanted to um, talk about just really quickly is projects to the people in northwest Tasmania in Burnie, mm. which is an emergency food relief organisation but, um, you know, has a community garden in a local school and is doing, I think, a lot of very important work in uh, a part of the country that absolutely needs it. And the reason I wanted to highlight that is I think we can tend towards being inspired by the big, you know, um, uh, initiatives that are getting a bit of media 
uh, attention and energy. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of those big inspirational projects, you know, become touch points for thinking how we can do things better. Yeah. But I, the, I guess what I want to highlight is that it's at the ground level. There are things being produced by a community for community that are absolutely amazing. They often, in rural and regional communities, they often don't have ac- the access to philanthropy that some of their metropolitan cousins do. Mm. Um, and they're also operating in markets that are very lean because, you know, of the demographic of the people who are there and also the industries that are there. So um, I, I'd, I'd like us to be um, looking for our inspiration on the ground where we can. Yeah, that's that's very, very interesting and a, a great initiative coming out of Tasmania there. So, Joe, as an author yourself, I'm very, very curious to ask, what books would you recommend to our listeners? Well, Tom, I'm very embarrassed to say that as a senior academic, I rarely read academic books. Uh, I read a lot of journal articles, but uh, I, I find my busyness levels stop me from reading deep scholarly tomes. Mm. Uh, so mainly I read detective novels for distraction. And my favourite one at the moment is called Ice Cold Alice for anyone who wants to read it. In terms of uh, articles that I'm reading, I'm currently reading an article by colleagues in the UK, Alex Nichols and Simon Teasdale, that's looking at these sort of policy discourses and their relationship to social enterprise development in the UK, and that's a very interesting read. Mm. And at the risk of rampant self-promotion, I think that my co-authored book, Social Procurement and New Public Governance, um, is a pretty interesting read if you're interested in social procurement. It's the first book out on that topic, and uh, I think it's reasonably interesting. It certainly is an interesting read. And Joe, I'd like to say very, very much appreciate all the work and years you have spent in developing the social enterprise sector. I very much appreciate that. I'm sure the whole sector does. So thank you very much for your generous insights and for sharing your experience today. And I'll certainly look forward to touching base again with you in the future. Terrific. It's a pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.